Good morning, New City Church. It is good to be with you this morning. My name is AJ. Uh, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you. Uh, we have spent the last three weeks of the summer journeying through the first three chapters of Psalms, uh, praying through the Psalms, the, uh, the peaks and the valleys of life. And so today we're going to be in Psalm 4. And so I'd love if you could open your Bibles to Psalm 4. We're going to be walking through that together. And so this is a companion song to uh, Psalm to Psalm 3, uh, which Pastor Eric preached on last week. And so we're going to find ourselves in the same story we were in last week. And so Psalm 4 finds itself uh, with David. This is King David, David and Goliath David, uh, king of Israel, God's appointed king. And what we find is David is on the run. What we find is that his son Absalom uh, is wanted the throne that David had. And to have the throne back in that time meant that you had to kill the king. You had to remove the king. And so not only was David facing betrayal, not only was David facing his uh, people around him now uh, siding with someone else, he also had to deal with uh, his son seeking to remove him. And so in that, in this like just tragic story in Scripture, what we find or what we get is Psalm 4 this morning. And so we're going to look at that and we're going to begin to see what God has for us this morning. And so let's go ahead and I'm going to read Psalm 4 for us as we explore what God has for us today. Starting in verse 1, this is David speaking. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What I love about Psalm 4 is in the midst of uh, just difficult times, in the midst of betrayal, what we see is that David has this quiet confidence in the Lord. And I say quiet because you don't see David like bringing down like the thunder. He's not calling upon wrath in this moment. No, he's not being intense, but it's a gentle reminder. And it's going to be our main point today is that we find peace and safety in the Lord. That we're going to find peace and safety in the Lord. And peace and safety is something that we all really desire. We want that. And as we've walked through the first three Psalms, we've gone over the peaks and the valleys. And we see David in a valley. He's been betrayed. He's being chased. His throne is being threatened. And I don't know if you come in today, but you may find yourself in the valley. You may find yourself looking for answers, trying to find refuge. Where in the world do I turn? I'm just craving peace and safety. Maybe you're walking with someone in the valley. And you're like, man, I want to be able to counsel them. I want to love them well while they're in the valley. Or maybe you're coming out of it, or maybe you're about to go into it, and you have no idea. I hope that Psalm 4 today is a guide for us as we walk through the valleys of life. 
Because as we walk through these trials, as we walk through valleys, we must remember that there is a spiritual war raging around us. And as we come into trials, there can be this idea that trials is it's just this little thing. But no, trials are war. And so what we need to remember is that as we're walking through these trials, it's very tempting for the unfiltered, for the raw us to come out. For the us that when that news you were, you were just hoping would come true and it doesn't, what, what's the inside of you do? How do we walk through these things? That us that comes out when, man, things have fallen through and I don't know what to do anymore. The us that battles through people slandering us and betraying us. What do we do? We seek peace and we seek safety and we fight for it. But in the battle, how do we respond? And so I believe our psalm, though it's only eight verses, gives us five ways to which we can respond. And so we're going to turn each of these verses over and see what the Lord has for us and how we can find peace and safety in him. And so I'm going to read our first two verses again. David says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? What we see is a troubled king. We see a father who's been betrayed. We see someone who is struggling and being shamed and losing honor. At that moment, though, we begin to ask the question, where is David running? In that moment when all the hardship comes, David runs not from the Lord, but to the Lord in verse 1. David is essentially saying in verse 1, God, you have proven yourself righteous and trustworthy in the past, able to handle my situations. You have said that you are gracious and merciful. Please, Lord, show me that now. That moment we find ourselves in trials and things get hard, when the unthinkable happens, we must ask ourselves, where are we going to run? We see David in this psalm. He's running to God. He's confident in the Lord's grace and provision. He's confident that his past grace is a promise of future grace and future provision. And so our first, the first way that we find peace and safety today in the Lord is we run to God, not from him. But it's tempting and I know this because I've struggled with this. It's tempting to want to run the other way when trials and hardship come. Because we realize this is, when they come, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And for followers of Jesus, what we can even say is like, God, I'm one of your people. I've done what you've asked me to do. Why is this happening? And I can imagine God's appointed king, the king of Israel going, this is not what it's supposed to be like. I'm one of yours. Because I, I, as I think back through this, as I think back all the things God's graciously uh, had me walk through, I know I've stepped in in those moments and I've accused God. I've run the other way, seeking to find answers, seeking to find security, seeking to find peace and safety. It's easy to want to run to our finances and say, okay, I'm, I'm taken care of here. Nothing's going to hurt me if I have this. It's easy to run to that person, that relationship. It's easy to run and dive into a hobby or our work or even at times a substance just to gain back a sense of control, just to seem like I have a grip on things. But that isn't what David models for us this morning. What we're to do when we face something unthinkable, what we do when we find ourselves in the midst of trials and people have turned against us, David declares, and he calls us to declare, God, you have answered me before. I've seen you be faithful before, 
Answer me now because of who you are. Because it's so easy for us to want to run and find safety and peace in the worldly things. Instead, though, we should run to the creator of all things. We run not away from God, but we run to God. We run to his word, and we see who he is and what he has done for us. We see how he has been faithful time and time again, how he is trustworthy, and we see all that he has done, and it calls us then to run to him. And so as we see David run to God, we see in verse 2 what he begins to do next. And he says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Here, David begins, the, the psalm, psalmist David begins to shift his focus from those who have betrayed him and sided with his son Absalom. If you, if you track with me, verse 1 is David's appeal to God. He's sitting there appealing to God, and now he's turning his attention to what I'm going to call the faithless, those who have betrayed him and now sided with Absalom. And he's, he's calling out to them not to turn, because they have turned their back, not just on David, but because he is God's appointed king, he, they have now turned their back on the Lord. He is saying, no longer are you following the Lord. Because now you're trusting in Absalom and his words. That's why he's saying, you love lies. You love vain words. You're not loving the words of the Lord. You're loving God's enemy at this moment. They're seeking power. They're seeking control. They're seeking to find peace and safety in this world. They're seeking to be in control of it all. And if we're really honest, isn't this what we do when things get hard sometimes? For me, I want to buckle down. I want to, like, hold on tight. I want to rein it in as much as I can into my control because I think I can handle it. If I can just get my arms around it, I've got this. I, as, I, as I think back, as, as I was preparing for this, there's all these different things as I walk through opposition, I just remember thinking when things started to spiral, it was that moment where do I turn to the Lord or do I turn to something else? And I'm here to tell you that I'm not perfect. And I remember those moments when the job that I thought was lined up perfectly for me and I'd done all that I needed to do and that fell through and I'm like, whoa, Lord, this is, this is not how this is supposed to happen. This is where safety and security, I was supposed to get that raise that was going to take care of everything. I remember in high school and even early in college, that relationship, that was supposed to solve all the problems. And I cried out and said, Lord, what in the world are we doing in this moment? How is this when I, when I pour my heart and soul into something and then it just falls through? How is this working, Lord? But in those moments when it doesn't work, I sought peace and safety outside. I was realizing I was trying to find peace and safety and security outside of the Lord. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we building up? What are we making so large that we sit there and we go, if this is it, if this happens, if this is what I want, this is, it, everything will be okay. Another word that we use in church is we call it an idol. We are putting something up so high that, man, in that moment, if that crumbles, I crumble and what I appreciate about this psalm is that David he's just gentle and he has this gentle call to repentance he looks at these men who have betrayed him and anyone who's listening and he goes how long will you go against the Lord how long will you pursue things outside of God 
How long, we must ask today, will you give your life to a career instead of the Lord? How long will you pursue to have that identity outside of an identity in God? How long will you seek to trust in your own provision and finances rather than trust in the provision of the Lord? How long will we run from God and not to him? Because my prayer this morning is that we find ourselves running to the Lord for peace and safety, not to anything else. But let's see, as David's calling people to run to the Lord, look with me at verse 3. It says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David, in verse 3, is still talking to the faithless, those who have betrayed. But he's, remember, he's, he's calling them to repent. And in this moment, he's calling them to remember their identity. He's calling these people who are a part of the nation of Israel. And he's, after he's called them to repent and to return to God, he's calling them to remember who they as a nation are supposed to be following, who they as a people are supposed to follow and serve. I think in, as we look at this, it shows us that in the midst of trials and uncertainty, in the valleys that we can find ourselves in our lives, we must remember who God is. He is the one who sets apart his people. He knows them intimately. He is the one, he is with them as they follow him and trust in his steadfast love. He is not distant. He does not forsake those who love him, but he hears them when they call to him. He hears us today when we call to him. And what I love about this psalm is it also affirms that he answers. Maybe not how we want it, but he answers. Y'all, that is sweet. And so what we get to see is the second way that we find peace and safety in the Lord is we remember our identity. Because it can be easy in the trials and the hardship for us to forget our identity. It can be easy for us to have identity amnesia. We can easily forget that if we trust in Jesus that we are a child of God. We can forget that we have been set apart by the creator and sustainer of the universe. Absalom and his followers just seemed to forget that who they were. They were God's people. They were the part of the nation of Israel. And today we can easily forget as believers that God has rescued us and is redeeming us. We forget that we are his children. But just maybe, just maybe we don't just have identity amnesia, but I appreciate how uh, Paul Tripp says that we can have identity replacement. Meaning that in these trials, in this hardship, it begins to reveal where our identity has been replaced, where it should be in the Lord, that we put it in something else. We find that our identity is really in our job, or it's as a parent, or a spouse, or as a student. We place our identity into what we do or what we have, and we become known more for the things in this world rather than as a follower of Jesus. For Absalom, his identity was in being king. He wanted that. That's where his identity was supposed to be. But if we really stop and think about it, there's this like notion that being the king of Israel wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. It did not offer peace and safety. David is on the run. The throne is threatened. His family has betrayed him. Like you're not going to find it there. And so we ask ourselves, what is our identity? Because hear me, our identity is not supposed to be in our spouse or in that relationship. 
Man, they are a gift, but they are not your Messiah. Our identity should not be in our job or our appearance. It should not be in our financial well-being or how many followers we have. None of that. Our identity should be in the Lord. This is why I find that trials can be both beautiful and extremely hard in the same moment. That God in his grace is going to allow us to walk through things in order to call us back to our true identity. He's going to call us, he's going to seek to rescue us from the unrelenting disappointment that the things of this world bring, and he's going to call us to trust in him once again. I love how the New Testament writer James says in James 1, starting in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, meaning they are coming, it's going to happen. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a purpose behind it all. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so I asked the question this morning, is your identity in the Lord? Because our psalm reminds us today that we have been set apart for him if we have trusted in Christ. We are recipients of his steadfast, never-ending, never-giving-up love. And when we remember this, we begin to see how we are to respond in the middle of these trials. Look with me at Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your own beds and be silent. Now, David is transitioning in this. He's spoken to God. He's spoken to the faithless. And now he's speaking in verse 4. There's this shift to now he's going to speak to the faithful. He's called them to repent. He's called them to remember remember their identity. And so he's going to speak and say, this is how you now walk as a follower of God. He says, be angry and do not sin. Easy. Or said than done. Okay. All right. I get that. I get that. But this is the point where the psalm gets really practical. For those listening and for us here today, what he's saying is that they and us should examine our hearts as we walk through the trials and difficulties. And this is the third way that we're going to find peace and safety in the Lord is we examine our hearts. Because, and you may have been like, man, doesn't that verse sound familiar? Haven't we talked about this before? We actually looked at it in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, where the apostle Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. But what we can know in both of these instances, by both of these authors, what they're saying is you can feel angry about the injustice. You can feel angry when people are slandering you, when people are betraying you. You can be angry about something, but here's the kicker. Don't fall into sin. Don't take the temptation to take it into your own heads, but instead you trust the Lord with it. And you're like, well, AJ, how do we do that? Well, praise the Lord, it's not up to me to tell you. David tells us in this psalm, he says to be ponder and be silent. Once again, easy, or said than done. But let's walk, I want to walk through in just a few minutes, in these few minutes, and kind of show us what this is like because if you're like me that's not my go-to response when I'm hurt or when I'm slandered or anything like that in those moments I do not want to examine my heart I want to be justified I want vindication I want justice I want it my way because that's the way it's supposed to be right come on but maybe for you it's maybe for you it's the tongue lashing that just like pops out at that person you're mad at or the other person that uh, just happened to be in the room maybe for you Uh, it's the silent treatment 
that is like silent, but it's speaking volumes in that moment. And you're sitting there and you're going, man, you have this dialogue going up in your head. But in all of it, we find ourselves saying, I don't like this. This isn't how it was supposed to happen if I was drawing things up. And if we're really honest with ourselves, and I think think that's a good thing to do. But if we're really honest here this morning, if we're really angry at our circumstances, we're ultimately angry at God. Yeah, I said it. I know. Just, but stick with me. If God is sovereign and over all things, in our, if he's sovereign and over in control of our circumstances and my circumstances don't go the way I want it to go, then who is in control of my circumstances? God, which means my anger is really at the Lord. And then you're like, well, man, this took a turn. Am I, am I angry at the Lord? Because if we're, now we're honest with each other, in our anger, I don't want to go to the person I'm angry at. I want to run away from them. I want space. I want to figure things out on my own. And if I'm going to interact with God, I'm going to bring them into my court and find him guilty of not doing things my way, and we run to other things. And I lean into the other things because God's not doing it my way, so i got to figure it out. But there's a sweet reminder in this psalm that David is going to give us the answer to how to be angry and do not sin. He's already taught us. He's called us to run to God. He's called us to remember our identity as a child of God, that we've been set apart. But then he says, in that, as you examine your hearts and you realize what's going on, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent as we look at verse 4 and I think about that I think about the time when I've done the most damage in my anger it was not when I was silent my words have done a whole lot more damage than when I have just been silent I love that that Selah is right there that we just get to say think about this just pause for a moment and think Begin to ponder what's going on. Take time to breathe. Call to mind the things you know to be true. I know that, man, for me, I I try to count the 10 in those moments. And sometimes I find myself at like 30 or 40. Sometimes I make it to 100 and you're like, AJ, you okay? I'm just counting, taking my time, trying to ponder here, trying to to be be silent and ponder. Y'all, I got two sweet, adorable boys. I love them jokers. Come on, but every now and then, that little bit of child of wrath pokes out, and you're like, whoo, let that anger, I feel like it's righteous anger, if I'm honest, if I'm going to be honest with you. It's righteous anger, but he tells me to be angry and do not sin in that moment. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you, my wife can affirm it, I do not do this perfectly by any means. But in those moments when I follow God's word, which is what we should do, I sit there before my anger comes up and I'm counting, I begin to ponder and I go, Lord, whoo, I feel righteous in my anger. What do I need to do in this moment? And he gently and quietly through the Holy Spirit goes, AJ, this is how you act. And I'm like, oh, come on, Lord. He goes, when you don't get your way, how do you act? When things are hard, how do you react? He goes, I, I hear him just nudging me to remember that he is slow to anger, he's abounding in love, and that my two sweet boys who occasionally lean in the child of wrath category, what he says is the point of them, 
He has given them to Jordan and I uh, to grow into followers of Jesus, not to make my life easier. And in those moments where I actually am pondering and silent, I'm able to approach them much more in love and not in my anger and sin in that moment and then have to go back to my six-year-old son and be like, I need your forgiveness. What I have in that moment is a moment to come alongside him and love him and encourage him in the way. For us today, as things go awry, what do we know to be true? What do we know as we examine our hearts and ponder what do we know about God and his plan? We can go to Romans 8, 28, where it says that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. And if we believe scripture to be true, when we know God is true, we can trust that. And in that moment, know that I don't understand it, but this is what God says. He's working things for the good of those who love him. We can know that God says that vengeance belongs to him and that he's going to right all the wrongs. Maybe not on this side of heaven, but he will do it. We can know that in the moments when all hope seems lost, that God is there with us. He has given us his spirit. He's given us the strength to get through it because he is with us. We are not alone. He does not forsake. He does not abandon. Y'all, God is with us today, and if we call out to him, he is ready to answer. As we examine our hearts, we have to remember and ponder and call to mind that he wants us to call to him. And so when we see... Verse 5 shows us where this now leads us. Look with me. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What he's calling us to in this moment, and it's our fourth point for today, is that he's calling them to worship the Lord. And for us, we're to turn ourselves and others to worship God. As we're examining our hearts, this is where it leads. Because the call is not just to go and do, not just offer sacrifices, but to offer right sacrifices. You're going to do it according to the law that was given by God. You're going to say, I'm going to trust in your way, not in my way. I'm not going to do it how I think's right. I'm going to do it how you said is right, Lord. And so let us not then today go about fitting God into our lives, but instead make our lives about living for him. Let our day be guided by time with him and ways to serve him and those around us. Let our day be saturated with prayer and thanksgiving. I say often here that worship is simply responding to who God is and what he has done for us. Thank you, Louis Giglio. But each day we will sin and others will sin against us. It's a guarantee. And there may be sometimes little, there's maybe sometimes big things that go down. And in those moments, you may become angry. I do. But the call for, out of our psalm today is to be angry and do not sin. And this is only accomplished as we are in the Lord, as we are worshiping the Lord. Because we are able to consistently live out this psalm and this call to be angry and do not sin as we are sinned against by worshiping consistently. And so I ask, do you praise him in the morning and spend time with him? unhurried sweet time with him do you worship him throughout the day as you lie down and begin to ponder things does your mind turn to the lord i pray that it does does your heart turn to worship because when we begin to turn our hearts and our lives to live our purpose as worshipers we begin to see that God has prepared good works for us to walk in. We see that his ways are better than our ways, and we can trust him. It's, 
It's the, we trust in his faithfulness and his steadfast love and that trust grows and it grows. Doesn't mean it's easy by no means, but I feel like it's most things, like most things in life, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It will be hard at first. Our mind does wonder, but I pray that it comes to the point that it's just natural. It can be little things like affirming God in the little moments of life going, yes, Lord. Come on, Lord, I see you there. I see your provision in that. Y'all, if you're, you're about my age, you can really just put on one of them early 2000 worship songs that are just repeatable. You know, if you know like one verse, you got it all. I'm just gonna say this like, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now you're stuck, now you're done, now you're done. All of you my age, yeah, it's in your head, you're welcome. But now you're gonna be worshiping, you see what I'm saying? That's it. Jordan's always like, man, wait, you singing in the shower. That's because a song got stuck, and here we go. All right, here we go. But worship is, it can be easy, though, in the peaks of life. It's easy when things are good. I want to come. I want to worship with you guys. I want to turn on the worship music. Let's praise God because he's doing good. Am I right? But it's the valleys. That's where you're like, Lord, I don't, I don't feel like that. I, I ain't about this life's knocked me down you want me to stand up and worship you but just just perhaps perhaps worship is never sweeter worship is never more heartfelt and it's never more honest and true than in the times of trial because at that moment I'm not worshiping God because he makes me happy I'm worshiping God because he's God. In that moment, it's not about my circumstances. It's because of who he is. And that, brothers and sisters today, is worship. We worship not just in the peaks of our lives, but also in the valleys. And we see this too, that we are a testimony to who God is and what he has done for us. And others begin to pick up on that. Because look with me at verse 6. He says, there are many who will say... Who will show us some good? And he responds, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. The, he's realizing people will ask, who will take care of me in the valley? Who will show me good? Because there's unknown, life is uncertain, life will still have trials. But I find it really interesting in this moment, David doesn't just jump to the theological answer, which is what I want to do. What he says instead is he goes, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. What we need in difficult moments, in trials is not answers, but instead we need God. We need and want God's face to shine on us, upon us, warming us in the cold battle to help remember his love for us knows no bounds. That his steadfast love is unchanging. That those who are his, will, he will never leave nor forsake. What we need in the trials is not always answers. Though those are nice, we need the Lord. We seek to know God more through his word and bring that word out as it's written on our hearts. And we, we just, just dive into it in the trials. When other people are in the trials, we bring out that word that's written on our hearts and we speak it into their trials. 
We seek to know, we seek to do what God has called us to do even when it's hard and we don't feel like it. Y'all, this is what true worship is and that's going to speak to others. When the health diagnosis comes and you continue to worship, people take notice because that should crush you. Through the betrayal of a friend or a spouse, that should crush you, but you worship. Through the loss of a loved one, it should crush you. But you still worship. People notice. Am I saying that it's easy? By no means. Please do not hear that this morning. It can be hard worship. I I remember a season several years ago. I was walking with a brother. I was a pastor in another church. and Man, just an unthinkable thing happened in his life. And I'm not going to unpack his whole story. But in that moment, it was just like devastation. And I remember me and uh, fellow elders and some other members of the church came around him and his wife. And in that moment, y'all, there was the, the sense that all hope was lost. But in that same moment, what they desired and what we desired was not to just sing a praise song, but we just desired to worship the Lord because that was what was good. He was what was good, and so there was worship that was filled with tears. There was worship that was just fear filled with crying out. There was worship in that moment where we were in silence, but we knew that the Lord was good. And it it was hard. It was not easy to have joy in that moment, but it was a moment where you're able to call to mind who God is and what he has done for us. And we call to mind his word, and we say, Lord, we trust you. Even in the valleys, we trust you. And people noticed. They said, that should crush you. How did that not crush you? And you said, because of God. Only God. They were like, you don't have the answers for why this happened. And they go, no, we got no clue. There's like very little answers. But I have the Lord. And though that may not make sense if you don't know the Lord, I'm telling you, he does make sense. It does compute in those moments. When they cried out, they cried out to the God who sought after them when they were his enemies. They crawled out to the God who loved them and pursued them and gave his son up for them. I love that the gospel tells us that though we are imperfect, though we are sinners and enemies of God, God sent his son because he loves us. That we bring nothing to the table, but God brings everything. He is the one who pursues. He's the one who rescues and redeems. He is the one who offers his grace and mercy. And he just simply says, follow me. Trust in me. And when we do this, when we trust in God, we get to experience him. We can declare as David does in verse 7 and 8. Look with me at it. It says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Y'all remember with me that David is on the run. He's trying to make sense of the situation going on. And the craziness of his throne being threatened, family dysfunction. David is declaring in this moment that having the Lord's presence, having his face shine upon him, gives him more joy than when the wine and grain abound. This is essentially David saying, He values God above all else because wine and grain abounding, man, it's going to point to wealth and security. It's going to point to status and comfort. Us today, we're the same. When we have more money, our joy abounds. When our comforts are available, our joy abounds. When there's no hardship, there's joy. But do you know what's fickle 
about wine and grain, it runs out. Money runs out. The relationship that we're placing all of our trust in, it fails us. They disappoint. Everything in this world will let us down, but we see David trusting in something that will never let him down, that his joy is far greater for that. He has joy in the Lord, and for us as followers of Jesus today, our joy is abounding and lasting because of the finished work of Jesus. And so the question is, do we have joy in our hearts even in the midst of trials and the valleys that inevitably come? This type of joy that's only found through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Do we know that when we trust in Him, He gives us this joy in our hearts that knows no end? Will it be hard? Will worship be hard in those moments? Yes. Is it, is it a joy that will be removed from you? No. It is yours. He has given that to you and he is with you in the peaks and in the valleys. And I love that there's so much joy in David that he has in the Lord that in the midst of crisis, we see David say in verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In the midst of being pursued by his enemies, in the midst of family turmoil, while David is in the deep valley of life, he says that he will lie down and sleep. And this shows us our final point for today, for us to have peace and safety in the Lord, and that is to rest in the Lord. Now, I just want to affirm that God said we should get some sleep. Amen? There we go. All right. But, in, but as we look at this, though, we're called not to just seek control in every minute of our life in every single thing but instead we're to trust the lord each and every night we need god we must go to sleep we must lie on our backs and relinquish control and say god i trust you because you are over all things working in and for all things for your good for those who love you you're working for your glory even when i'm sleeping and you may at this point be saying, AJ, you, you've like walked through this and I'm, I'm ready. I want to run to God. I want to do these things. I want to examine my heart. I want to remember who I am. I want to worship and rest. Well, that seems like a lot. You took eight verses and gave me five things to do. And in my temptation, what we might think is that you might want me to be like, well, just be like David. Right? David did it. And I'm with you. David is meant, and this is helpful as we read the Psalms, David's meant to be the ideal representative of God's people. He's God's chosen king. He's the ideal. He, he's the, this is how you should do it. But we know David's story, and we know that he didn't do this perfectly. He had some pretty major things happen in his life. He slept with one of his general's wives and got her pregnant, and to cover that up, he got him killed on the front lines of battle. We remember that these words are written by David in the midst of the valley, but I have to step back even further and remember that God gave these words to David. This is God's words. And these are words from the Lord showing us how we are to live. Psalm 4 can be a guide for us to walk through the unthinkable, but more than that, it's a testimony to what God can do in us. Look what he did in King David. Look what he can do in us. What he did through David, he offers that to us today. He welcomes us when we run to him. Through his word, he reminds us of our identity. He helps us examine our hearts and see how loved we are. 
He shows us that he's worthy of all worship, honor, glory, and praise. And he offers us rest today, tomorrow, and forevermore. He offers us rest when Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. What we see in Psalm 4 is this way to navigate the valleys of life. But more than that, we see a picture of God's grace and mercy. He answers when we call. He sets us apart. His face shines upon us, giving us his presence, giving us lasting joy. This psalm isn't saying be like David, but look how deeply God loves us. Because we know throughout the rest of the Bible, God loves us so much that he sent his son. Jesus, who left his throne and came down into a broken world. A world that met him with slander and shame and sought to dishonor him who was the king of kings, but came down and was mocked and beaten and scorned. Jesus lived this life in a broken world. He lived it perfectly, worshiping God throughout. Jesus went and endured the most brutal thing that could be endured, and that was separation from God on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He endured God not answering so that we would never have to. In that moment, Jesus came and secured our peace and safety that would never fade because he took our place on the cross. He took the punishment for our sins so that now we can have the identity as children of God. It is in God alone that we're able to dwell in safety, to have peace that surpasses all understanding. And the call for all of us in the room today is just to run to the Lord, to run to God. To find forgiveness there, to find safety there, to find peace there. Maybe you're like, I've never trusted in the Lord. The call is still to run to him. It's an open invitation today. You're like, well, he, does he know what I've done? Yes, he knows and he invites you anyway because he loves you. You're like, I got questions. I'm like, that's good. There's a lot of things to question. But just in that moment, come talk to me. Come talk to the person that, you've, uh, that came with you today. If you're following Jesus, Today, the call is still the same, to run to the Lord, run to him. Because I, David wrote another psalm, Psalm 23, and I'm going to jump to verse 4, where it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Y'all, this rings true for us today in Psalm 4, where it says, You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. My prayer is that we, that we run to the Lord in all circumstances, that we cling to his words and write them on our hearts that we pray earnestly and have thanksgiving, that we sing songs of praise and give him all glory, honor, and praise because he deserves it all because he offers us his quiet confidence that we can have in him, that he offers us peace and safety that is forevermore. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your great love and how you have loved us. God, it is sweet to know that you have called us to yourself God, I pray that in the moments when trials come, when we find ourselves in the valleys, that God, in those moments, we would run to you. That we would seek you above all else. And God, we would, in those moments, give you praise. 
And so we thank you, Lord, for, for who you are, for what you have done for us, and for your great grace and mercy. We love you, Lord. See your name we pray. Amen.